Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. If it was less than 24 hours before you knew that you would die, what would you do? What would you find yourself making a list on wanting to do, wanting to check off on that bucket list that we may have somewhere in the back of our mind or somewhere maybe actually written down, things I want to do before I die. And I encourage you, be honest with yourself for even a moment of reflecting of, if I knew, if that diagnosis came in, that you only had so many weeks, so many days, months, even hours to live, what would you want to focus your life on? And if you're like most people, if you're like myself, I would say spending as much time as possible with my family. Everything that you think was important would suddenly be shifted and turned upside down. So many things that we care about would just fly away. And what really matters in this life would remain a focus. And beyond spending time with those who are here on this earth and we care and we love about the most, I think that we who who try to follow Christ, who stumble in the dark, would also want to, quote, get right with God. Now, Lord willing, we have given ourselves over to Christ Jesus. We desire to follow him, yet we are simultaneously sinners while yet saints. But still, if we knew how much time was left on the clock, we would want to spend that time in prayer and asking for the Lord to truly grant us a forgiving heart, to truly remind us that we are forgiven of our sins and that we are truly part of him and that he is us. It's interesting to see what Jesus does in the scriptures. Our Lord, who is fully God, fully man, God the Son, and the Son of Man, knows exactly what's happening. He's been predicting it for several times to his own disciples, who refuse to believe, and yet the hour draws near at his own betrayal. And what does Jesus do with these last hours? Not just the last less than 24 hours, from now until he's crucified tomorrow on Good Friday, but even less time when you consider how much time he has as a free man before being betrayed by Judas, taken by the guards, and escorted away to his trial. When we open the scriptures and we see what he is doing these last few hours, we see that he spends time with those whom he is the closest with. And it's not his relatives, it's not his immediate family. No, it's his true family, his family of the Spirit knitted in the bonds of faith in him, the disciples. And yet we know, those who have heard and read the story time and time again, even these closest of his brethren, even these closest of his true family, will all desert him and fall away. And yet Jesus focuses upon them, invests himself upon them, Jesus does three things this very evening. In the very last few hours he has before his betrayal, before his trial, before his lashings, before his crown of thorns, before his beating and spitting at, before his very own crucifixion and death. What are those three things that we learn through the Holy Scriptures? That he breaks bread, showing himself to be the true Passover. We see that he teaches his very own servants, the disciples, to lead by washing feet. And third, we see that he prays mightily for his disciples. And he prays to God the Father. 
as he prepares to enter into his passion. And so we dive into the scriptures. We heard it read over us just a moment ago through the gospel reading. That Jesus is breaking bread with his disciples, giving us a Passover to fulfill the very first Passover. And unlike that first Passover, which occurred there in Egypt, preparing the people of God for their escape, their exodus, teaching them that the firstborn, both of the animal, the cattle, and the firstborn son belongs to the Lord, and that blood must be shed, not just any blood, but that of an unblemished lamb, in order for God to pass over judgment. That Passover was reflected and was memorialized. It was commanded by God to Moses and his people to keep as a covenant forever to always have the Passover looking back so they would not forget that God is the one who exodus them, who took them, and who saved them from Egypt. The new Passover that God now gives us through his son, Jesus Christ, is one that doesn't look backwards. Although he says to do this in remembrance of me, It's bringing us together with our Lord. It's somehow mystically, spiritually, but just as real as when he first broke that bread and poured that cup and gave it to his disciples. So that we too, his disciples today, receive what Christ has always given his church. Himself. A selfless sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. Jesus gives us a supper that we celebrate until he returns. We hear that in Paul's writing to the Corinthians. We celebrate this until he returns and then we can commune with him face to face. Just as Moses communed with our Lord God upon Mount Sinai. Just as Moses went into the tent of the tabernacle and met God as a man face to face. What we see here is in the beauty of God's redemptive plan. He doesn't have to do it this way, but he does it because God is a beautiful poet who reminds us that just as our foreparents, Adam and Eve, they fell in a garden taking fruit from a tree which they had no right to. Now, the new Adam gives the fruit of his very own flesh and blood for us to eat It was by eating that we condemned ourselves, separated ourselves from God, and were condemned in our own sins. And it's by a new fruit, the fruit of the vine, that Christ gives back to us. The bread which he breaks as his very own body and tells us to take, eat. And God reverses the curse using exactly what we took into ourselves and cursed ourselves with. Secondly, we see that Christ uses this opportunity to teach his disciples. We see in Luke that all of a sudden there is a discussion that quickly transfers from the giving of the Lord's Supper of Holy Communion to where the disciples are arguing with themselves, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Who will rule? And sadly, it's a question that we have asked ourselves continually. Throughout the church, within the people of God, we are no better than these disciples who have gathered around our Christ. 
And sadly, it's taken me many years to read the scriptures and to realize where am I in the scriptures. And it's wherever there's opposition to Christ, I realize there I am. And when Peter does something silly or stupid, I realize there I am. And when we see here the very disciples disputing, arguing, who will be regarded as the greatest? We see that Jesus teaches, still teaching and even in his last hour. He tells them, look, the kings of the Gentiles, the kings of this world, the princes of this world, they exercise lordship over each other. But not so with you, not so with you. Instead, this kingdom is turned upside down. Because even the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, even the Messiah himself goes and serves. And he tells us, if you wish to follow after me, pick up your cross and follow after me. If you wish to follow after me and be the greatest, then you must be the least. You think you're the oldest and you're an elder, then you should be like the youngest. And if you are a leader, then you will be one who serves. And the Lord gives them this puzzle, this question of who is greater, the one who is reclining at the table or the one who's doing the serving? And he says, isn't it the one who's reclining at the table? That's the greater one. The person who's serving is clearly the lesser. But and here it comes. I am among you as one who serves. Our Lord. The Christ. The one who made heaven and earth, who has come down as man in the flesh, has come to serve. And that service that he comes into, he's about to fulfill in the ultimate service of giving his life in his passion, dying for us, the ones who are his very own creatures. And now he leaves us with something, not just mere words, but as we also see throughout John's gospel as well, Words that also bear with action. Action in which our Lord is even willing to wash the feet of his followers. Feet which were not clothed, which were not bound with leather, but instead were wearing sandals. Feet exposed, dirty, blemished, unclean. And yet our Lord, who has now taught his disciples that they must serve in order to lead in this kingdom, gets down on his feet and continues doing what he's done his whole public ministry, serving us, serving his very followers, the ones who are his disciples, the ones who are his servants. He gets down and washes their feet. He demonstrates what mercy means by cleaning us unclean men. And the cleansing that he is giving us is only beginning. We hear in John 17, which was outside of our reading today, that John 17 of that great high priestly prayer, in which before our Lord goes to the garden, goes to Gethsemane, he prays for his people. He prays over his disciples. And not over his disciples who are there with him, but also for his future disciples, for us. For the whole church from beginning to end. And what does he pray for? He cries out to God the Father for our protection. For our steadfastness. To stand firm. For our sanctification to be made holy. To be set apart from the world. And for our unity. 
for our unity. That entire prayer is not for himself, but is for us. That entire prayer is selfless, not looking at the hour that it's at, for the hour is drawing near for his betrayal. But instead, he's still praying for us. And then he calls the disciples and says, let us go to the garden. He goes into that garden of Gethsemane. He takes out the three that have been closest to him, the three that he's been specially forming. And he tells Peter, tells John, tells them, come and keep the watch with me. Remain awake with me even for yet one hour. And yet they cannot. Not even keep the watch for one hour with our Lord. As they each succumb to sleep. Just as we succumb to sleep. Even when we pray to our Lord and our mind wanders. Or we drift off into sleep in the night hour. We fell to keep the watch. But our Lord Jesus Christ keeps the watch. He fulfills the watch. He finishes the watch. And what does he pray for? He prays to God the Father that, Lord, if it be in thy will, let this cup pass me over. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Echoing to the very words of the prayer, the Lord's prayer that he gives to us, the prayer that we will pray very shortly. He selflessly prays for the Father's will to be done. And then the Lord Jesus gets up and he does it. He completes the will of the Father, the unified will of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that he is to go into the world to die. And not to die any death, but a horrific death to show the great love of God for us sinners. He obeys because we disobey. He obeys so that we may have life abundant. And he says yes to God the Father in a garden where Adam said no to God in a garden and took the fruit that was forbidden and ate from it. But God the Son says yes to God the Father and takes the cup and drinks it to its very dredges. What we see and what we have here is the selfless Christ for selfish humanity. And this is why we gather together at this table. Because we selfish humans look within ourselves, look to our own doings. We seek to justify what we have done wrong. And yet Christ continually offers himself, his body and his blood, here at this table for us weary sinners to come to, to take and eat to receive the body and the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast for this week. We're expanding our ministries at Church of the Good Shepherd and expanding our space as well in order to better accommodate our growing church family and also to minister to our children. If you feel led to give, please feel free to text the word SHARE to 1-888-364-GIVE. Or additionally, visit us at www.goodshepherdacna.com and go over to the menu item listed Donate to Donate Online. We appreciate any help that you can give, and we hope to see you soon. 
Come visit us on Sundays at 9 a.m. for Bible study and at 10.30 a.m. for Sunday worship. God bless.